Hey, everybody, and thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Egypt Travel Podcast. I'm John, your host, just like every episode, and I thought it would be a good time to put out another Egypt Travel Podcast episode to talk a little bit about what's going on in Egypt right now, what it's been like in Egypt since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, and then maybe give a little bit of advice on travel plans for the rest of 2020 and 2021, and then a few more updates that I think are really important for anyone who's planning to go to Egypt in the next 6 to 18 months, let's say. So it goes without saying that this is not a good time for travel. And the travel industry has obviously been hit really, really hard by this unpredictable catastrophe. Unfortunately, as is the case with any natural disaster or global health disaster or any other type of massive catastrophe such as this, developing countries always feel the effects much worse than the developed world because they simply just don't have the money or equipment or supplies or capacity to handle sudden societal and system shocks the way that our home countries do in the more developed and richer parts of the world. So first of all, let me start by saying that without question, Egypt and its tourism industry will absolutely bounce back and recover from this. I have absolutely no doubt about that fact. There will of course be changes, and I think those changes will actually be for the better, such as an increased focus on hygiene and crowd control and things like that. But we will for sure see a safe reopening of the country and its bucket list historical sites and monuments in the not-too-distant future. As unprepared as most of the world, and especially the developing world, was for this global health pandemic, it's important to understand that being thrust into unexpected situations like this is nothing new for Egypt or for Egyptians, okay? On average, Egypt's tourism industry has experienced a major hit about once every 10 years or so. So now in 2020, it's coronavirus and the worldwide travel shutdown. About a decade prior, in 2011, it was the Arab Spring. About a decade before that, in 2001, it was 9-11. You see, each of these major global events decimated inbound tourism to Egypt at the time and impacted either regional or global travel and tourism on a mass scale for a while as well. But in addition to these, Egypt has also experienced less severe tourism industry interruptions at about three to four, five-year intervals between each of these massive global shocks, okay? So for example, a Russian airliner exploded over the Sinai in 2015, and Russian tourism to Egypt, which is a major market, by the way, for the Red Sea resorts, Russian tourism goes to zero and stays at that level for years. In 2004, some crazies drove a truck bomb into the Hilton Hotel in Taba, Egypt, which is way over there on the eastern coast of the Sinai, um, really close to the Israeli border. And not surprisingly, they were targeting Israeli tourists who frequently crossed the border to go to that resort. But I don't really know anyone else who would go to Taba intentionally, unless it was super close to you for some reason, like it is to Israel. But anyway, you get the picture, right? About every 10 years, there's a major global event that severely impacts tourism to Egypt. And about every three, four, or five years in between, there's some type of one-off incident that impacts tourism to Egypt in a more minor way. But my entire point in telling you about all this is to drive home the point that Egypt is used to this. They hope for the best after each recovery, but they're accustomed to dealing with a minor dip every now and then and a major dip about every decade. You've heard me say this before on the podcast, and I'll say it again because it's really relevant now. Egyptians are the most resilient and resourceful people I've ever seen anywhere in the world. They make do, and they do so with dignity and with patience because they know that tourists will eventually come back. I mean, how could they not? 
Egypt has the number one bucket list item for literally everyone on the planet, the pyramids, right? And the country also happens to be packed with a lot of other bucket list stuff too, like the tombs and temples and, you know, the golden treasures of the pharaohs, of one of the greatest civilizations to ever inhabit the planet. But people aren't going to just suddenly say, oh, well, you know what? I think I actually can die without ever having seen the pyramids of Giza or King Tutankhamun's treasures. Of course not, right? The monuments and sites and treasures that Egypt holds are at the top of everyone's bucket list, and the visitors will certainly return as soon as it's safe to do so. That makes sense, right? So speaking of safety, let's talk about that for a few minutes, okay? I'm recording this episode in the middle of June of 2020. Now, while it appears that the pandemic has peaked and declined significantly in the countries where it first hit, like China and Italy and Spain, as of right now, it seems like it hasn't even peaked yet in the next wave of countries it came to, including the rest of Europe and the U.S. and most of the developing world. As many of you know already, I now live in Spain, and we are just now getting off of our full and total nationwide lockdown, which was a serious lockdown, unlike some of the, I'm doing air quotes here, other lockdowns I've seen in other countries where, you know, people could still gather in small groups. You could go over to your friends' houses. Um, you could go out to the park. You could go outside for runs and to exercise, sometimes in groups of two or three. No, our lockdown here in Spain was a complete and total one for two full months. That was, by the way, universally respected by the entire population here. And we've been gradually now gaining back our normality in steps in two-week intervals for about the past month or so. You know, I think the only other countries that had a lockdown as stringent as we had here in Spain were the other initial hard-hit countries, which were China and Italy. So we have all pretty much beaten the virus now, as long as we're not reinfected by opening our borders back too soon this summer. But the virus in most of the rest of the world is still on the rise because they got hit later and took longer to implement, you know, mass containment measures. And some places didn't even do that and are just now getting with the program, and taking things seriously. Now, as all of you may know, Cairo is one of the largest cities in the world, and it's one of the most densely populated, as are all of Egypt's cities. And Egypt was one of the earlier places that the virus showed up in because of the huge numbers of foreign visitors that the country gets from the areas where the virus outbreak first occurred. If you'll recall, Egypt even made international headlines at the time because coronavirus showed up early there on board one of the Nile cruise boats down in Luxor. Now, they quickly detected cases on board the ship and quarantined everyone on it for two weeks, but there was a period of about 48 hours before they knew, during which passengers on the ship were disembarking to visit the sites between Aswan and Luxor and interacting with the standard aggressive souvenir sellers at each one of the sites. And this likely contributed to a lot of the viruses spread down in southern Egypt, while the uptick in tourism in late 2019 and early 2020 for the country as a whole likely introduced it into cities like Cairo and Alexandria and elsewhere. So Egypt was one of the first countries in the world to act to try to prevent the spread of coronavirus within its borders, but unfortunately some of those initial measures were rather superficial and therefore didn't actually successfully contain it. Now in Egypt's defense, it's likely that the virus was already there and out into the population and spreading for days or maybe weeks before symptoms appeared in that first handful of cases. We all know now how this thing works, whereas there was a lot of misinformation, just plain lack of information in those first few weeks of the pandemic. Remember that? 
So I was actually in Egypt and down in southern Egypt, to be precise, when the news started breaking of Egypt getting its first surge of coronavirus cases. I'd actually been in the region for about five weeks in February and March, and I spent about three of those in Egypt, including with some clients that I was personally showing around Egypt, who are all good friends now, by the way. Um, you know, I tend to become lifelong friends with most of the clients that I personally show around Egypt. But at the time, the country only had three diagnosed cases up through the first week of March. So on Friday, March 6th, my group arrived and my team and I picked them up from the airport and a couple of runs throughout the day, you know, as they arrived. Then the following day, which was a Saturday, it was March 7th, is when the news broke about the Nile cruise outbreak on that boat down in Luxor after having sailed up from Aswan. So remember, the Nile flows from south to north. So we'll be sailing from Aswan in the south to Luxor a little bit further north and stopping at the sites along the way. So sites like Edfu and Komombo, they stop along the way while sailing from Aswan to Luxor. So we don't know how long those infected passengers on the boat had the virus when some of them finally fell ill and sought medical attention and were tested and then, you know, tested positive and were quarantined on March 7th. But the standard itinerary, by the way, for those now cruise boats, which I'm not a fan of at all, which you all surely know if you've listened to a couple of podcasts, because it usually comes up every now and then. But people who do those now cruises fly into Aswan usually, or sometimes even directly down into Abu Simbel. They spend a day or two down in Aswan, then they all board the boat, they cruise north, they um, disembark at Komombo, they disembark at Edfu, they disembark at Luxor, they do stops at the Temple of Sobek and Haroeris, they do the Temple of Edfu, and all of these sites, of course, have the aggressive shops gauntlets with the souvenir sellers all up in their faces trying to get them to come in and buy their crap. And while they're walking around, you know, they're using the restrooms, they're buying snacks and drinks at cafes, and so on and so on. So the bottom line is they're interacting pretty heavily with the local workers at and around the sites that they stop off at as the boats make their way north to Luxor. I still don't recommend those now cruises, by the way. They're just, most of them are just disgusting. Um, anyway, luckily with the boat on which the first outbreak was detected, I think the first passenger started showing symptoms before they actually got to Luxor. And so they managed to keep the boat and the passengers out of Luxor, where they do a lot of those same things as they do in the other sites that they stop at on the way, except on a much greater scale in Luxor, because there are so many more sites and opportunities for local interaction in Luxor. However, I think what tipped everyone off that the first cases of sick passengers on March 7th might be coronavirus and needed to be tested for that was the fact that another tourist on a previous Nile cruise boat had completely finished her trip, her entire itinerary, and returned home to Taiwan when she fell ill and got a coronavirus test and tested positive for the virus. And she had just been in Egypt and completed her entire trip. So she and many others on her boat, and likely others, had already been catching and spreading the virus before that newsmaking outbreak on the boat was announced on March 7th. Now, to be fair, there was sort of an international incident surrounding that Taiwanese tourist because Egypt immediately accused her of bringing the virus into Egypt and introducing it there. But then Taiwanese health officials quickly said they tested the DNA of her strain of the virus after she returned home 
and they determined that it wasn't a match for the strain that was going around Taiwan, which, by the way, had and still has very few cases compared to everywhere else. So Egypt was saying she didn't catch it in Egypt. She must have caught it in Taiwan and brought it to Egypt. Taiwan was saying, no, the virus strain she had couldn't have come from Taiwan. She had to have picked it up in Egypt. Who knows? But the important point for us here is that coronavirus was likely present and spreading in Egypt for days or maybe even weeks before it was detected. Now, I will say that I don't think it was pervasive in Egypt at that time. Despite the conditions there that ordinary Egyptians have to endure, the population density and so on and so on. And I say that because even about a month later, after I finished up that last trip and returned to my home in Europe, I was talking to friends and colleagues back in Egypt pretty frequently, and they told me that they still did not know anyone who had contracted the virus, you know, weeks, maybe a month later. And they were not seeing people in the streets coughing and sneezing or showing any classic symptoms of a respiratory infection. And as we all know now, even if only a small percentage showed symptoms, there are so many people in Egypt that it makes sense that some would start showing symptoms in some places. But people that I know and trust there were telling me that that just wasn't happening at the time. And also, another longtime and highly trusted friend of mine and colleague there told me something else that really made a lot of sense to me. And by the way, for any of you who've traveled with me in Egypt um, or used Egypt Elite, the colleague I'm talking about is Iman. Some of you may uh, remember her. Some of you may have traveled with her as well. Um, but Iman said to me, okay, John, my mother and sister live right in the heart of Cairo, and I've been staying with them to help care for my mom and make sure she doesn't get sick, you know, because she's very old. And their apartment is right across the street from one of Cairo's largest hospitals. And if people were mass infected and a fraction of those were forced to seek medical attention, and some of those were dying, I would be seeing ambulances arriving across the street all day and all night, and I just haven't seen that happening. And she also said something else that made a lot of sense to me. She said, if people were dying of coronavirus in this hospital, as they are in other places when it hits people, I would see crowds of family members gathering outside the hospital or down the street, and we would hear you know, the wailing of mourners that we do, that we always have in the Arab world when a family member dies, None of this has been happening here. This is what she's saying at the time. None of this has been happening here yet. So that's why I don't think it's as bad here in Egypt as people think it might be and suspect it might be. You know, everybody's saying, oh, the government's, you know, not reporting the numbers or hiding the numbers. Well, this is coming from someone who is, number one, trusted by me. I've worked with her for over a decade. And she's just telling me what she's observing, you know, living next to a hospital. So anyway, that was, that was, uh... That was early April, but rewinding for a minute back in March when I was still there. So, you know, I continued on with my group that I was with at the time because, you know, we were already there and they made the decision that they wanted to continue their trip. But now we did start to see the government begin to mandate some initial measures, which were not always followed at the time, by the way. But people came through and they sprayed the tourist sites with disinfectant. And I'm not sure that helped much. You know, health officials came to the major hotels and you know, with cameras and made a big deal about checking all the temperatures of all the hotel workers and staff. But of course we know now, and really we even knew back then, that only some people become symptomatic. So they were just trying to make a show of it at the time. But measures like that were touted at the time as giving the all clear, air quotes again, for visitors to continue patronizing the hotels and the sites in Egypt, not to flee, not to end vacations early, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when we finally got back to Cairo, actually, and checked into our last hotel before they departed the next day, evidently that hotel was supposed to be 
checking and recording our temperatures, but you know, we arrived super late and they just never did. Even though we had just come from Luxor, which was supposedly the epicenter of the outbreak in Egypt at the time. So, you know, they were putting on a show about doing these things. They did them sometimes, sometimes they didn't. Some of the things were more superficial, but also at that time, there was, okay, some things started happening outside of coronavirus. Um, there was an epic sandstorm that had blown in from the Sahara Desert while we were down in Luxor, and everything was just hazy and, and gritty from that. And at the same time, back in Cairo, they were having this epic rainfall. And of course, Egypt isn't equipped to deal with heavy rainfall because, you know, well, I mean, it's Egypt. So, you know, the water couldn't drain off quickly and properly. And the major streets and highways of Cairo were just absolutely flooded. And if you can imagine the traffic in a city of 20 million people all of a sudden just grinding to a halt, this is what was going on at the time. You know, sandstorms coming in, record rainfall, flooding, traffic grinding to a halt. So much crazy stuff was happening that my group, you know, by then who had come very close with, we dubbed their trip the end of days tour because all this stuff was going on. And on top of that, right after they left, an historic swarm of locusts swept across northeastern Africa, including Egypt, which, you know, of course, further reinforced the theory that all of this was just a sign that the end of days were really upon us. So thankfully, they got in their bucket list trip to the pyramids and the tombs and the temples just before the world ended, if that was what was going to happen. But, you know, it didn't. That group left. They returned to the U.S. on March 14th, I believed. And I, I left right after, the day after them. I left on the 15th of March to return to my home in Spain, where the world's second strictest lockdown after China had just begun the day before. So I had absolutely no problems getting home, luckily. But surprisingly, not a single person at an airport anywhere asked me where I was coming from, where I had been. Nobody tried to check temperature, anything like that. On my whole trip from Egypt to Athens to Barcelona, you know, back into Spain, which really surprised me at the time. You know, I had been in Bahrain a few weeks earlier, and even back then, so this would have been maybe end of January, beginning of March, even back then in Bahrain, they were already using body heat scanners for arriving passengers at the airport there. But I don't think they started doing any kind of screening or checking of passengers going into the EU or the US until at least a few days after I got back to Spain. But anyway, so I arrived back home in Spain and I settled in for the next, you know, two months of total and complete lockdown, during which we could really only go outside for absolute essentials like a grocery store trip or to buy medicine that you had to have to live. And even those trips had to be documented. We had to have some sort of proof, you know, a receipt, um, something to prove that we were going out for one of the two approved outing reasons, or we risked a 500 euro fine for violating the national quarantine. And they did hand those out on occasion to some people who were caught violating the quarantine. So people pretty much obeyed. So to fast forward a little bit now, as I mentioned earlier throughout late May, we've been carefully and slowly phasing out of the total lockdown here in Spain. And the strictest measures that virtually everyone here complied with have worked enormously well to bring the daily infection rates now in early and mid-June down to about 200 or less per day with a zero, one, two, maximum three, um, but usually zero deaths a day now from COVID in the entire country, which has a population of about 50 million people. But as I also mentioned, most of the rest of the world didn't take the same measures as China, Spain, and Italy, which were the earliest hit by the virus. So the daily infections in places like the U.S. and Brazil and Russia and across the developing world in Asia and Africa continue to climb and haven't peaked yet in many of those places. 
Lucky for them, though, I think they're going to be benefiting now from the lessons learned early in the pandemic, and I'm really hopeful that their peaks won't be nearly as debilitating for their societies and their healthcare infrastructure and their economies as was the case earlier in the year. But, you know, we'll see. Now, let me go back and talk about how this specifically affects Egypt and the travel plans of everyone planning to or wanting to go to Egypt in the next year or so. The big question, of course, is whether travel generally and Egypt specifically are going to be safe in three or six or nine or even 12 months. Now, obviously, none of us has a crystal ball, but the best we can do is make informed best guesses based on what we know and then plan accordingly and flexibly. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and share with you all what I would personally do if I were you at this point in time and either had a trip planned to Egypt or wanted to visit Egypt soon. There are two things I would do. First, I would push my trip off to 2021. And second, I would actually book it now and lock in pricing and rates during 2020. Now, let me explain both of those recommendations, okay? For the first one, I think there are just too many variables still in play now in the summer of 2020 to bank on the travel industry being operational again by later in the summer or even fall of 2020. You know, my company, Egypt Elite, had quite a few clients booked on trips throughout the rest of the year in 2020, and the earliest any of our clients has rebooked is for December 31st of this year. And I honestly do think December will be fine, and I think Egypt is an absolutely incredible destination to spend New Year's Eve for once in your life, but, you know, so that's basically a 2021 trip, um, because they're arriving and starting it on December 31st, but as a general guideline... I'm just recommending targeting 2021 across the board, unless you have a scheduling reason that just works out for the best for December of 2020. And then I really do think you'll still be fine in December. Now, it should go without saying that the new norm in the travel industry is going to be booking flexible travel. Traditionally, this has been a much more expensive route, I know. Refundable airline tickets are insanely expensive, and tour operators usually require non-refundable deposits or even full payments at booking sometimes. And, you know, I understand that. I run a tour operator. It's for a lot of necessary reasons that I don't have time to get into here. Even travel insurance policies don't let you simply change or just cancel for any reason unless you get a specific type of travel insurance policy called a cancel for any reason policy, which not surprisingly is very expensive. Moving forward, though, both travelers and the travel industry companies are going to have to find a way to meet in the middle somewhere to make refundable travel a new reality for everybody. Travelers just aren't going to book if they might get shafted later, if there's future waves of corona or, you know, God forbid, something new, who knows. But most travel companies won't be able to simply absorb the hit from mass cancellations again if something like this reoccurs. Now, I think traveling to the other side of the planet might still be a risky bet in the summer and fall of this year. But, you know, come late November, December, I think things are going to get sorted out. Hopefully the virus will have been brought under control by then, even in the developing world. And if we're lucky, it will have died out. But, you know, national healthcare systems in every country will have also learned how to cope and will be better resourced to deal with respiratory illnesses by then. Unlike three months ago, you know, even the richest countries didn't even have enough ventilators and PPE. And also we're in a situation now where people are clearly practicing better hygiene and they're going to be practicing, you know, distancing is going to become a norm. Um, Community care from now on, I think it's going to be much higher. So 
this thing or anything new that pops up won't spread as easily as it did in the good old carefree days, you know, just a few months ago. Things are going to be certainly different moving forward is my main point. So all of that is to say that I think things will be both back to and advanced to a state where we can safely and comfortably travel again to our heart's content by about the end of this year. But as a general rule, I would just say 2021 to make it nice and round. Now let me talk for a minute about my second recommendation that I mentioned earlier. Why you should go ahead and book your trip this year and not wait until 2021 to book something and lock it in. As I just mentioned, the travel industry is about to become a little bit more flexible or a lot of bit more flexible when it comes to changes and cancellations, at least for a while. Now this may not last, but for at least the next year or two, the industry is going to build in some flexibility into travel. How exactly that looks, you know, I'm not 100% certain, but companies may build in flexibility by offering more travel insurance and putting it on customers to pay extra for the added flexibility, or, you know, more likely they're going to loosen some of their own traditionally infamous restrictive policies on changes and cancellations. For example, you know, before this year, airlines required virtually a fully declared war or revolution or natural disaster or something like that at a destination to allow you to make any changes to a reservation. But right now, all are, of course, allowing any and all changes. And most are even offering full refunds too, except for, you know, a few douchebag airlines that are playing games with their customers. But there will come a point in the future where these super generous refund and change policies will be dialed back a bit. Although I can envision them still being semi-flexible even next year and the year after. But this, I can guarantee you 2,000%. Companies are going to offer the most generous change in cancellation terms for travel booked this year. In addition to the deepest discounts on future travel. I think you'll see a phase out of these great discounts and flexible terms over the course of the next few quarters with late summer bringing us an uncoordinated campaign from travel industry players to encourage people to get back on the go and book travel again in 2021 to support the travel industry's recovery and the recovery of some of these destinations. Then as people start traveling again in Q3 and Q4 of 2020, and especially in 2021, those discounts and offers and those super flexible terms are going to start to disappear. And prices will either A, go back to normal, or B, they're going to get even a little bit more expensive than they were before because the cost of providing travel services is just going to be a lot greater in the post-COVID era. Trust me on this point. That's something that not a lot of people are thinking about yet. But airlines are going to have to spend more money to comply with heightened requirements, and they'll be forced to carry less capacity which will mean an increased cost of service delivery. Same thing for restaurants, hotels, entertainment venues, etc., etc. So a year from now, travel might be more expensive as everyone feels comfortable doing it again and wants to go, go, go again, but the cost of it is going to be a bit higher and will have to be passed on to the customer. But if you're a smart cookie, you'll plan and book your 2021 and even 2022 travel now in this year in 2020 so that you can take advantage of these get back to traveling initiatives and discounts and offers and stuff like that trust me on this point too companies in the travel industry are going to love 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 you for supporting them and booking future travel in this down year and they're going to reward you for it too i promise you and after the industry gets back on its feet again not only are the deals and promotions going to go away 
But like I said, the new cost of travel is going to go up noticeably. I can tell you with my own tour company, Egypt Elite, and really with all companies in Egypt, we were already planning, everybody was already planning to raise prices on packages and services in the fall of 2020 moving forward. Because that's when the new Grand Egyptian Museum was supposed to finally open because the entire supplier sector in Egypt was going to be raising prices a bit on us in response to increased demand surrounding that. And also there's the issue of the hotel capacity in Egypt, which is a little bit behind. So hotel prices were already going to be going up as well in the fall of 2020. And the shortage of quality guides and drivers and things like that was also going to follow because they were all going to be in short supply. So everybody was planning to raise prices anyway in the fall of 2020 in Egypt. So even though the opening of the gym has been delayed, well, I don't, it's probably going to be delayed again. You're still going to see those price hikes happen when it does finally open, which will now likely be in, uh, I'd say, around the turn of the year. I'll do another episode on that later, updating on that. But one thing that we did for all of our clients who rescheduled their trips with us instead of canceling and rebooking later is that we guaranteed them locked-in spring 2020 pricing for whenever they wanted to reschedule in the future. So even if guides and vehicles and drivers and hotels and everything are double the price in 2021, and I mean, they won't be, well, at peak times they might be, but we're keeping our rates the same and, you know, they've already paid, they've already locked in their booking with us and we'll be delivering the exact same product, actually a little bit better because there'll be more on offer there. Um, Even though it'll be more expensive to others, to the clients who stayed with us, and rebooked instead of canceling as our thank you to them, they'll be getting a much more premium product without paying one dime more as a gift from us for sticking with us and committing to still come to Egypt, either at the very end of 2020 or in 2021. And we haven't announced this yet because we've been laying pretty low and letting things kind of run their course for the past couple of months. But I'll share a little secret with y'all since I'm talking about it. But we're going to be putting out some pretty freaking amazing deals on 2021 travel to Egypt that is booked over the summer of 2020 very soon. As in like thousands of dollars off per person for some pretty sweet luxury trips. And we're able to do that because we're locking in some really amazing supplier lease and contract pricing right now during the downturn. So we'll be able to deliver trip packages for the next year or so at an amazing discount which we're only going to be offering this summer until we book up and then, you know, prices will be what they, what they may after that. So stay tuned for that. If you're interested in going to Egypt next year and make sure you're on our email list at egypttravelblog.com. If you want to be the first to hear about those when they do come out in the next couple of weeks, one of the features that actually will be a part of that is we're offering 100% changeability and 100% cancellation on any trips booked in the summer of 2020 for travel throughout 2021. And we'll probably offer it for 2022 as well. But like I said, only for travel that's for 2022 that's booked in the summer of 2020. And that's that includes even last minute changes or cancellations, which has been 1000% unheard of in the travel industry before. You know, even those cancel for any reason and in travel insurance policies I talked about earlier, that were super expensive to buy, even those required that any reason cancellation to be made at least 72 hours prior to departure. And we may offer an add-on policy like that for trips booked in the future, obviously for pay, but it certainly won't be free. 
and it won't be as ultra flexible as what we're going to be offering this summer to jumpstart trip planning again for 2021. So anyway, that's just a sneak preview there of what's to come from us since I got to talking about it and started thinking about it. I figured I would mention it while I'm talking about it. But to get back to what's going on in Egypt on the ground right now, I have to say, you know, I mentioned it earlier, I was not too impressed with the initial response there. I mean, yes, I think they were caught off guard. They were under-resourced by default, but I don't think the measures that were implemented were implemented quickly enough in response to the first few major outbreaks that took place. You know, they had too much everything's fine PR and were a lot less serious about cracking down at first for fear of scaring the tourists that were already there. But I do think that once Egypt realized that tourism for at least the first half of the year, and most likely all of 2020, was just going to be gone no matter how much bad PR they tried to do, they morphed into survival and resistance mode, and they hunkered down for the long haul to take care of themselves and take care of each other instead of worrying about the country's image. You know, Egypt is one of those societies where families live together for generations, and they do this specifically for the purpose of taking care of each other through thick and thin, and especially in times like this. You know, Egypt doesn't have any sort of social security system or safety net. It's really every person for himself or herself there. And the family truly is the backbone of Egyptian society and their survival, especially in times like these. But Egypt also has a really strong sense of community. People there take care of others they know as well. I've seen this characteristic manifest itself time and time again there among friends and colleagues where, you know, someone they know will be in need and they will be barely getting by themselves, but they'll share whatever they have or they'll go out of their way to go across town or sometimes across the country to help someone else out. And when I say go across Cairo, keep in mind it can take two hours just to get across part of the city. But Egyptians are incredibly giving and incredibly hardworking and empathetic which is why you just fall in love with them when you spend time there and get to know Egyptians on a personal level. But during this crisis, they seem to have really gone into survival mode and community support mode, and they're waiting it out. And now, you know, they're doing the best they can just to stay safe and get through this colossal unexpected depression that coronavirus has really caused for the entire country and its economy. But you all know what I'm about to say if you've listened to this podcast for more than one episode. Because I say it all the time, and it's 100% true. Egypt has been one of the top, if not the top, bucket list destinations for literally everyone in the world for thousands of years. And they have been dealing with invasions and plagues and wars and revolutions and everything in between throughout this entire time. Egypt knows how to endure and persevere better than virtually any civilization or people on the planet and throughout history. And no stupid... Coronavirus is going to change that now, I promise you. So Egypt is still going to be there when you're ready to travel again. And by then, I guarantee it will be even better because the gym will likely be open then, the Grand Egyptian Museum. And that's truly going to be the most spectacular museum in the entire world. And I really can't wait to show all of you around Egypt when the time comes, or at least hopefully meet many of you when you visit Egypt. During the five weeks I was there back in Q1 of this year, I had a few groups that I was personally taking around Egypt and then many other clients who just happened to be there at the same time as me. And I really enjoyed, you know, taking time out and going out of my way to make sure I got to go meet them. Some of them I went and, you know, picked them up from the airport myself personally and spent a little time with them or went to meet them at their hotel or went for coffee or dinner. 
or even just to drop by to say hello. You know, I always try to do that when I'm in country and I have clients that I've booked trips to Egypt for and they're there. I always try to do that when I'm there at the same time, even if it's not a group that I'm personally leading around. All right, so we'll leave it there for now. And, you know, if this thing persists a whole lot longer, coronavirus, I'll be sure to keep doing periodic updates based on what I'm hearing from trusted friends and colleagues on the ground there. And I'll try to give you, you know, the unvarnished truth that you won't hear from, you know, some media or other travel companies. I'll just share what I know, what I see, and what I hear and answer any and all questions that anyone has. If anyone wants to email me, john at egypttravelblog.com or john at egyptelite.com. Both of those will get directly to me. A lot of times when emails come in, when I'm on my phone anyway, you know, I respond to them right away. A lot of times people will email me and then they'll get a response back in two minutes and people say, oh my God, I can't believe you responded that quick. Usually I'm on my phone for significant periods of the day. And if I see an email come in right then, I'll just respond to it immediately because, you know, it's kind of top of mind at the time. But if, if it takes me a day or two to respond, please don't kill me. I try to respond to every single, well, I do respond to every single person who emails me. I'll try to be as helpful as I can. Ask any and all questions. Reach out. I'm here to give advice. Whether you're traveling with my company and with me or not, I'm here as an, a, an information resource. And I'm happy to help any and everybody when it comes to travel to Egypt. Also, my hope is to get back to doing substantive episodes very soon on travel and topics and even more recommendations, and even to update some of the old episodes from earlier in this podcast series that are now a couple of years old. Oh, and just to tease one more thing for you, I also have a really big update coming up on hotels in Egypt. And this is based on work that I've done. I did two trips there, let's see, in late 2019 and early 2020. A lot of that was hotel research, trying out new properties, scouting, um, secret shopping, and collected a lot of information, a lot of write-ups, a lot of data points, some new properties. I'm really excited to tell everybody about some new experiences, new properties that have jumped onto my top recommended hotels lists in several places in the country, especially in Cairo. So be on the lookout for that episode in the near future. Also, that other huge announcement I told you about that's going to have, that's going to be an email announcement actually, that has those eye-popping trip deals for 2021 and 2022 for those who book and lock it in this summer in 2020. Fully changeable, fully cancelable, but taking advantage of some of the amazing pricing we've been able to lock in on the supplier side during the downturn. Okay, everyone, thanks for bearing with me on this really meaty updates episode of the Egypt Travel Podcast. Stay safe out there, and we will see you in the next episode soon and on the ground in Egypt again before you know it. Masalama.